0: All right, if you have your Bibles, please join me in Hebrews chapter nine, Hebrews chapter nine, verses 11 to 15. You, you know, uh, of course I'm putting it up here today so I can get a better view of the, uh, of the recording. You, you may not think it's important, but uh, there's a lot of people that depend on these audio recordings uh, I'm thinking of people that are in the nursing home. Uh, we have a good friend in Texas, she listens every week. And actually, China, we get downloads from China. We get downloads from uh, South Korea, we get downloads. I mean, just if you go back and you scroll back and look at the ones before it, uh, we, we get, uh, I think, four sermons ago, they're up to 60-something on the download. So. Uh, it's very important uh, to have a presence uh, so that people can uh, listen to the sermon and listen to the, to the praise team. So anyway, we're, we're looking at Hebrews chapter nine, verses 11 to 15. We've been going through the book of Hebrews, selective scriptures that I think are pretty important. And I just want to kind of remind us uh, of one thing that was in the Old Testament from Jeremiah, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with your fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. So Israel had, in a sense, committed spiritual adultery. For this covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write the law on their hearts and they shall be my people and I shall be their God. So the the commandments, the Pentateuch was given by God, it's obviously holy. The problem was because God is so holy that people could not ultimately live up to those commandments. At some point they would inevitably uh, not obey those commandments. And therefore, uh, God knew uh, from the foundations of the world that Jesus was going to have to come, but there was a process in which God was going to uh, usher in the advent of Christ. We also learned from Paul, and this is what gets confusing for some people, and I hope to clear it up. Uh, Paul writes this, Galatians 3:17 and 18 and this I say the law which was given 430 years later cannot annul the covenant that was ratified by God in Christ that it should make the promise of no effect for if the inheritance is of law it is no longer of promise but God gave it to Abraham by promise. So when you go back and you look at uh, uh, the Abrahamic covenant you have to go back to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, God tells Abraham to get out of your country to a land that I will show you and I will make you the father of many nations. So that did happen and God made a promise to Abraham. And then 430 years after that promise, God gave the law. So in in chronology, you would think, well, Abraham was given a promise, but now God has the law, the the Ten Commandments, the Mosaic Commandments. But Paul is saying, no, that commandment, the, the Pentateuch, the law, the Torah, does not supersede the promise. So Paul writes in Romans several times that Abraham basically, in a sense, is the father of faith. So when we come to saving faith in Christ we have experienced in some way Genesis chapter 12, where God said, I want you to get out of your country and go to a land that I show you. And he also fulfills the promise to Abraham that multitudes will come to Christ. So that's kind of the, kind of the background. And it gets kind of, I guess it gets kind of confusing, but God made the promise to Abraham. 400 years, uh, 430 years later, God gives the law, but that doesn't mean that the Abrahamic promise Is null and void it means that that law and if you read Galatians by the way Galatians is a game changer uh, you read it that the law was given to the Jewish people so that they may find Christ and of course the author of Hebrews uh, just does a masterful job of outlining this better covenant and we say better meaning it's 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 obtained through a priest just like the old testament so let's look at what uh, the writer talks about here this morning we have eternal redemption we'll mention the sanctuary but notice verse 11 but when christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come now this uh uh, which means christ appeared uh, means that he appeared on the world stage we have to go back to bethlehem From out of you, Bethlehem, will come a shoot, and that shoot is Jesus Christ. He was born as a man, and yet never lost his divinity. So you have Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, contained, and therefore he appeared on the world stage. Now, it says here that he appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, and When we think about Jesus coming to, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, very, very difficult how Jesus could experience humanity and still hold on to his divinity. It was kind of, it's like nailing jelly to a wall to try to figure it out. But John writes this in John 1 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, that word dwelt means tabernacled referring to a tent and he he tabernacled among us and we have seen his glory glory is of the only son from the father full of grace and truth so jesus came to this earth uh fully man and you go over and you read first john chapter one you find out that some believe that jesus didn't really come as a full man that it was just an appearance of a man, but John very settles the issue right here in John chapter 1. He comes as a high priest, Archaearus, and the high priest is the chief priest. Now, this is something we haven't... There's two things here today that's going to maybe shed more light on this temple worship. So here you have the high priest. Now, the high priest was the one... He would minister in the court, and then he would go in uh, to the holy place, and then once a year on the Day of Atonement, he would go into the holy of holies. But what we haven't really discussed, and what I think is extremely interesting, is what all of these different things mean. And so, conferring some Jewish scholars and some others, this is what we come up with. Right here, there was a there was a gold plate on the high priest's head. Uh, turban holy to the Lord was inscribed it symbolizes the priest bearing the people's guilt now we think about Christ he bore our guilt And, and and so you have the old testament in which Jesus Christ becomes the high priest actually replacing the earthly priest that would do the sacrifices for the people. Now on his shoulder pads, um, those were Onoch stones, they were engraved with the names of the sons of Israel in the way of remembrance. When we come to Ephesians 1:13, you were engraved in him with a seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Also in Isaiah, and the weight of the government shall be on his shoulders. And so here you have the high priest, all of these things mean something and they can be directly applied to Jesus. If he's a high priest, then he would have to have the same functions as a high priest and so many things here today, so many things. Uh, Thirdly, he had a plate here that was worn on his chest which had the 12 stones. Each of those stones represented one of the 12 tribes of Israel. But it was also worn next to the heart. And I would like to remind all of us this morning that when G- and it uh, covered the heart, symbolizing bearing the people's judgment. So not only did the priest bear the guilt, he bore the judgment. And to remind us this morning that on the cross, Jesus' heart stopped. He was bearing the judgment of our sins and he died physically on the cross. Now, the last thing we talk about here is the undergarment, it was linen, worn next to the skin so that the priest would not defile the holy of holies and kill himself. So he'd put this on, but underneath, he would not be able to touch that, he was pure. And we think about Christ. He was holy and he was pure. Another thing uh, that's worth mentioning here is the good things that uh, you read. But when Christ appeared uh, as a high priest of the good things to come, what were the good things? Agathos, agathos is the word for generous and it roughly refers to the forgiveness of sin and the restoration of God, uh, to God. But ultimately agathos means good things and when we talk about the gospel we are talking about the good news of the gospel and the good news of the gospel is that Christ came to pay for our sins died physically on the cross was buried and three days later he rose again and over a period of 40 days showed himself to 520 witnesses and then he ascended into heaven where he sits now as high priest on the throne of God Kind of interesting. Then, notice continuing verse 11, then through a greater and more perfect tent, he tabernacled among us. This is directly related to the Mosaic temple. Not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. John MacArthur makes a very good point here. Uh, The old tabernacle was designed by God. It was made by men out of material of the present physical Creation—that That is what God created. For that time and for that purpose, it was impressive. And on the inside where only the priest could go, only the priest. It was doubtlessly was also beautiful. But it was only a tent. It was a tent that obviously housed the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant and the elements that we looked at last week. But ultimately here, the sanctuary is being played out in the writer of Hebrews and will be applied to Christ. You can't miss it. I mean, it's quite obvious. Now, as we look at the sacrifice in verse 12, listen to what Christ did. So we Christ appeared as the high priest. He, he brings the good news of the kingdom of God He entered once for all into the holy places. He entered into the holy places, not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood. So we need to do a little review here at this point. So here you have, what gate is this down here? That's the east gate because north is this direction. So he would enter, if, if you think about the sacrifices, you remember there were uh, animal sacrifices here and here, and then they'd put them on the altar. Many scholars uh, believe that the imagery here is of a tabernacle, but a tabernacle not of this world. Some scholars believe that this is the post-resurrection. So as the people would bring in would bring in the sacrifices and they would be offered jesus the bronze altar becomes the cross and then you after the death and resurrection remember the priest would wash his hands not only to cleanse himself from the sacrifices but also in the form of purification then the priest at that point could then enter the holy place And then, of course, if it's once a year, he would go into the Holy of Holies. This is now being applied to Christ. So when he says Christ is our high priest, of course he is. Because this is all being applied to Jesus. He entered it once and for all, securing eternal redemption. Uh, Hebrews 8.12 Now, the main point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest, Jewish people. You know, you've got the high priest in in the Jewish congregation. You have that, but you have a better high priest. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle, not the earthly one. This is a heavenly tabernacle. The true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by mere human beings. So when we think about the, the 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 tabernacle, the earthly tabernacle, Moses did build that, and and God's presence was there. But God also realized you have to send another priest. You remember that one image uh, last week, where when the priest would go in at the altar of incense, and there was blood all over every all over those four horns. Uh, you, I would, if I was a priest back then, I'd have blood with me all the time because I know I wouldn't be right with God simply because God's so holy. The commandments are not the problem. The problem is us. That's the problem. The problem is with us, not with God. And so when you look at the Ten Commandments and we looked at how many different things you had to do, I mean, it, you had to do so many different things because that's how holy God is. And so Jesus Christ burst on the scene, and he says, to see me is to see the Father, and he, he just starts sharing what God would look like, and, and, and how God would heal people, and, and, and it was awesome. And it was all because man cannot live up to the holy standard of God. So Jesus had to come. Why the Jewish people have missed this, there are Messianic Jews, I'm friends with one or two of them Uh, there are messianic jews but we need you know not only pray for israel right now because of the war but pray for israel that they may come to saving faith in christ hebrews 9 24 for christ has not entered the holy places with made with hands which are copies of the true the true tabernacle is not of this world jesus says my ministry is not of this world but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. The priest would say, give me your sacrifices, the earthly priest, give me your sacrifices, we'll offer it to God, I'm going to go wash my hands, I'm going to go into the holy place, and then I'm going I'm to talk with God, and then your sins are going to be forgiven. Jesus says, wait a minute, he's going to go into the holy of holies after his death and resurrection. And this tabernacle will not be of this world. I remember years ago when I first got here, and I, I worked to get us to change our purpose statement because it, I think it read something like this. We are aliens and foreigners. Aliens sounds like we're from outer space, but... Here's the thing. Jesus Christ is our high priest. He did it all. He did it better than anybody that's ever lived. He did it so good that it was perfect. He secured eternal redemption. Eurisco, it can mean either a location or a place or implying discovery. Eternal is without end. And redemption refers to liberating or setting free. So here you have Jesus, the high priest who once and for all entered into the holy of holies in the presence of God on our behalf and also securing eternal redemption for us. Uh, I, I, as I was writing this sermon up and uh, I, I started thinking about uh, this was Dachau back as American forces liberated. When I was 19 years old, um, we were on maneuvers and we were able to see Dachau, the barbed wire that was still up at the time and this was in the 80s. The big ovens that were used to exterminate the Jews. And think about when the Americans arrived to liberate these places. Look at their faces. They were set free. They were set free from tyranny, from unspeakable atrocities. They were enslaved. But the Americans came on the scene along with the Allies, and they liberated these people. When we lived in Germany, we stayed off post. We became friends with the German family. And Herr Krauss was actually a prisoner in the Russian. He was under Hitler. He was in the Hitler army. And he was captured by the Russians. And we got a really good deal on rent because I think they loved Americans. And we became part of their family. When they had family gatherings, we were invited. And so you had Herr Kraus telling us that when he was captured by the Russians, it was horrible. But when the Americans took over, it was like he said it had been set free. Listen, sin enslaves people, and Jesus Christ sets us free. We are free. We are free in Christ. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the dominion of light in which we have now access to God by Jesus Christ. Not based on what I do or or how I act, but based on what he did and how he lived his life sinlessly, took that put it on the cross, died, rose again, and now lives at the right hand of the Father. We have been set free. Dominion of darkness no longer controls our lives. No longer do we, are we in bondage to sin. Satan may cause us to stumble and struggle, and I understand that. But ultimately, we are victorious because of our great high priest. That should, that should make us really want to worship. That, I mean, just to get that, get that thought of being redeemed, that means to liberate. And I'm going to tell you guys, when I saw that as a 19-year-old kid, I was a kid. I think I was a, I was a PFC, private first class. And I saw that. It left a mark. It left a mark. We pulled in and looked and it was our company commander wanted us to see that and I thought about that this week when I was talking about setting free wow can you imagine the joy on these people's faces when Americans showed up and by the way Americans the American army is the only one that treats their enemies with respect and that's why they developed the Geneva Convention to try to level the playing field. But Herr Krauss saying that when, when the Americans arrived, it was a totally different scenario. Hmm. What, a, what, a, what a image. Now, we also can serve God now. That's right, we can serve God. Now, this is where it gets interesting. I spent some time on this too. Um, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of a defiled person with the ashes of a heifer, we've not seen that before. We have not talked about that. Sanctify for the purification of flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works and to serve a living God. I'm gonna, I wanna unpack this because I, I think it's important. So we've, I've been applying the old tabernacle, and you could say the new tabernacle too, to Christ. So let's go back and look at something. First of all, and the second time I've said this, so if I said it twice, that means it's pretty good. <laughs> okay, so the sacrifices would be killed here. And, of course, the priest would put the blood on the, on the post and he would offer the sacrifice. Then once all the sacrifices were done, the priest would then wash his hands to purify himself, to clean himself, not only physically, but spiritually before he went into the holy place. Now, when you think about, for at the blood of goats and bulls, and the sprinkling of a defiled person with the ashes of a heifer sanctify the purification of the flesh. So if that works, which it did. And I'll get to the other in just a second. I want to keep you in suspense. So the animals that were offered pretty much this. They had other animals, but these were kind of the big ones. You had the grain offering. Remember, the grain offering was rededicating yourself to God, which would be nice to have like just a reminder in your hand each day. Uh, Scent offering uh, So what he's talking about here Is this If the bulls And the goats He's not mentioning this at this point But uh, so here you have These sacrifices so if the Goats and bulls And the sprinkling of a do- What is that What is the sprinkling Of a person with the ashes Of a heifer um, so in Israel, these are called red heifers, um, and you see this Jewish guy, that, that they don't know what's coming, but uh, <laughs> these are red heifers, and what would take place, what would take place would be that the priest would kill a red heifer. He would burn, oh, and by the way, when he, when he killed it, he would take the blood and he would apply it seven times. Seven exactly. Seven's a perfect number. It is also the time that God rested on the seventh day, meaning that God will surely accept this as a sin offering. So after he killed it, he would take the blood, and then they would light it on fire and the you would have ashes. Those ashes were now carried, and I am assuming by the priest would take those ashes and set them outside of the tabernacle or the camp wherever Israel was. Those ashes would, oh, and they were also burned with a red uh, scarlet thread. So it would be in there and they, they would set it outside. And if you needed to get right with God, there was water there. What they would do would take a little bit of the ashes and they'd mix it in with the water and they would sprinkle it on their head. So it ran down. Now you say, well, Pastor, Where'd you find that in the Bible? Well, I did. I did. Here it is. A man who is clean, I'm assuming the priest, shall gather up the ashes of the heifer, deposit them outside the camp in a clean place, and they shall be kept with water for for impurity for the congregation of Israel. It is a sin offering. Now, the sprinkling reminds me of something. He has shed his blood across our hearts, the blood of Christ, and therefore we 're forgiven. Quite fascinating when you study uh, when you study this so Sanctify here, I'm going to read it again, for if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of a defiled person with the ashes of a heifer, I made a note here to stress that, the ashes of a heifer, a red heifer, sanctify for the purification of the flesh. Hagiozo, which means to be dedicated to God and make holy. Purification, kateroses, Kataroses means to clean, to cleanse. Ray Stedman, in his commentary, writes this. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, red heifer, offered in the tabernacle of old sufficed to cleanse the sins of those ceremonial, ceremonially unclean and to forgive the rebellions of the past so that the people were temporarily accepted by God. With the emphasis on Temporarily. Guess what? You had to do it again. And you had to do it again. And you had to do it again. It was a never-ending process of trying to stay in a relationship with God. And it became every day you struggled with it. Now, if that system worked, which it did, how much more catching this? How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish when you gave God An offering. It was without blemish. You'd check the lamb over. You'd check the bird over. You would check the animal over to make sure that it had no imperfections on it. And then you would offer that to God, mostly with a grain offering. If I was in those days, I'd have been offering all kinds of grain offerings just simply because I'd be worried about my relationship with God. We don't have to worry about that anymore. Christ did it once for all. It is... Finished. You don't have to worry about your relationship, at at, at least positionally. You do want to walk with him and follow him and love him and and, and work for him. But you don't have to live in fear. Man, if I was a priest in those days, I'd say, hey, Philip, you go in there. I'm not going in. I don't think they have anybody named Philip in Jewish (laughs) congregations. Just use that as an example. So as we look at some observations here. The Old Testament. The Old Testament sacrifice was temporal. It wasn't permanent. You had to keep doing it over and over and over again. The Old Testament sacrifice was external. It was the sprinkling of blood. Or the sprinkling of the red heifer and the water symbolizing blood. The Old Testament sacrifice was ongoing. It never ended. You, priests go into the holy place bread every seven days represents the tribe of Israel he'd have fellowship with God the lights represent the days of creation and God's perfection and he rested and then the, the, uh, the altar of incense the prayers going up to God also helping cover the stench of the sacrifices here's the big one this is big the Old Testament sacrifice for sin was placed on the animal why did the animal have to die because it was put sin on the animal transferring it from the worshiper to the animal the big question I asked myself this week why did God need blood actually God didn't need blood when you get right down to it. What does blood represent? If you drained yourself, don't do this, please. (laughs) If you lost all of your blood, you would die. Blood is life. Blood is life. God said, I need a life. I need a life that is without blemish. You can see those Israelites just checking the animal before they gave it to the gave it to the priest to make sure it was okay. (coughs) If you do a study of anatomy, there's different blood types. There's AB, negative and positive. There's A negative, A positive, B positive, which is what I am, B negative. And then there's an interesting blood type called O. There's O positive and O negative. Do you know only one of those blood types is a universal donor? Do you all know what it is? It's O negative. O negative. Do you know Christ was a universal donor when he shed his blood? Anybody that wants to come to Christ can come. It doesn't matter about your social status, your economic status, your race your nationality everybody is welcome to Christ so God didn't necessarily need blood but blood represented life and you had God says I want a life and so the life was placed on the animal and again in my own law I don't think I could have killed an animal I'd have had to let somebody else do that but Christ's sacrifice, he shed his own blood, it was eternal, that is never-ending, it was without blemish, that means he lived a perfect life, he was sinless, and the blood of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, cleansed our conscience. The law didn't do that. And Jeremiah says, in those days, declares the Lord, I'll make a new covenant, in which God will write his law's and put them on the heart. You see how Christ is the high priest, and the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, you better get it. You better get this. And God does love the Jewish nation. This will lead, and don't worry, we are getting ready to land the sermon. Indeed, under the law, almost everything was purified with blood. Like I said, I'd carry it around with me and just (laughs) all over the place because I'd be scared to death. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Hebrews 9.22. Now, this will lead us to the inheritance. Verse 15. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant. And that's what you have. You have the Old Testament or Old Covenant. You have the New Testament or the New Covenant. The mediator. Messites, Messites. Let's see what that means. This is Messites. What does that mean? I, I'm just pulling right from the Greek lexicon of the New Testament. This is what it says. One who causes or helps the parties to come to agreement. With the implication of guaranteeing the certainty... Of that arrangement <laughs> in the Old Testament you had the people then you had the priest then you had God the priest was the mediator between God and man however now it's changed here you have us then you have Christ mediating to God and notice the certainty of that arrangement. When Jesus Christ lived his life perfectly, laid it down, died and rose from the dead, he stands with the Father and he says, you remember our agreement. And he fulfilled that agreement. Therefore, when we trust in Christ, he is our mediator before God. In that sense, he is our high priest. He's our savior. (laughs) He's the only way we're going to get to God so if you're watching by facebook or whatever we stream on if you have not trusted in christ today is the day to trust in him so that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance this is verse 15 since since a death has occurred that redeems us remember god needs life he needs a life which ultimately leads to death christ died for us to redeem them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. When you think about it, everybody's guilty. And therefore, Christ had to come and do it perfectly, which he did. This is a great great verse. And I take this when I give this to people when they're struggling with whether they're saved or not. The first question I ask them is, have you trusted in Christ? And if they have, then you're secure. Here's, Here's the verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ by his great mercy has caused us to be born anew into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance. The heavenly tabernacle where Jesus is the priest who is in the presence of God. Inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, Kept in heaven for you. And you know why? Because Christ made the agreement with God. And they they accepted Christ. God accepted Christ's sacrifice. And therefore the agreement was ratified. So when you trust in Christ. All your sins are forgiven. Permanently. Positionally you stand right with God. And when you die. You go to be with him in heaven. That's quite amazing. As we think about closing this, just for a minute. Number one, Christ is our high priest who takes us to the very throne of God. Paul says, come boldly before the throne of grace. What's Paul talking about? He's talking about going to the heavenly tabernacle. It's worship. To the very throne of God. Christ paid for your sins once for all. That doesn't mean we don't repent of our sins as we make mistakes. The New Testament talks a lot about this. That's for another day. But your sins are paid for once and for all. Done. Finished. Number three, when we trust in Christ, we receive an eternal inheritance. And that inheritance is to see God face to face. Can you imagine that? Someday when we leave this world, we go into the presence of God. I, last night I was I was out late at the observatory and uh, uh, I don't know. It's, I was driving home and I took a different route and, and, and I wound up going by the... Uh, I think I got home at nine or something like that, but I was taking the cemetery road home. I didn't realize it was cemetery road because it was dark and when I saw it, I go, oh, okay, cemetery. And as I was driving by, I immediately thought about Bill Foote, And I thought about all those in that graveyard that a lot of them I'd done their funerals, not funerals, home-going celebrations. And as I passed the graveyard, I'm driving towards stop sign I got, I wonder what Bill's experiencing right now. What he has been experiencing. What Cecil's experiencing. They're in the presence of God. And so that is our inheritance. Our inheritance is that we have a place in heaven reserved for you and for me. It just... I don't know, I, I drove by and I, I just glanced over and I just thought about these, all these people that used to be here but are now there. And what a joy, what a joy to think about what they see, what they see or have been seeing. And I got this cup, sis gave it to me a couple of years ago, Yes, I'm a pastor, and no, the sermon was not about you. (laughs) Kind of funny. What's she seeing? Listen, the only way to see that is if you trust in Christ. If you're not saved, please come this morning. Please come forward. I give an offertory. I stand out in front for you if you want to talk to me, or I can grab a deacon. A deacon can talk with you. You can come up here and pray. Uh, This is a time for you and God to meet and maybe for the first time and trust in him as Lord and Savior.